our sermon series that we are in this week, again, is our But God series. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Bible from Genesis to Revelations and looking for the phrase, But God, throughout the text. And we're calling it the divine pivot, because what you'll notice in every one of those texts is there's a um, declaration of current realities of how you feel, what life is like, um, some truths about the world, and then you get a but God um, phrase, and then you get what is true of God in spite of your circumstances. And it's been beautiful this summer for us to look through those, and they have been hope-giving messages and texts for us to see that in spite of our circumstances, God is good, or in spite of what we feel, or what is true, what God is doing, and what he is up to. And so I pray, and I hope that those have been encouraging for you and helpful for you. And we're going to be looking at another one today, so if you have your Bibles, please open to Psalm chapter 73. We're going to look at another psalm and look at the phrase, but God. Um, I want to ask you a couple questions this morning as we get started. I want to discuss emotions uh, that we all feel, emotions that are common to every single one of us. A few emotions that our text is going to address this morning, you should be able to relate to. I think you'll be able to relate to. Maybe uh, you'll relate to these even in the last week. Um, Maybe you felt the emotions of anger, envy, disappointment, hate, resentment, jealousy, defeat, or frustration. Have you felt any of those? Can you relate to any of those? Which of those emotions have you had even this last week? Did you feel any disappointment or frustration or envy over other people? Which of these emotions have you felt even in the last six months? A lot has happened in the last six months, and for sure you've felt those emotions, haven't you? Would you be willing to admit and be honest that, yeah, it's been tough? Man, I've gone through the full range of emotions in the last six months, and I've had to deal with each and every one of those. I'm willing to admit I have wrestled with every single one of those in the last six months and had to check my own heart and wrestle with anger and disappointment and jealousy and frustration. And to be honest with you, I'm still dealing with those. Those aren't completely accomplished in my own life. Well, whichever of these emotions you have had, here's the main question. What does it take to change the way we think or feel? How do we change? Because I think it's, we would be honest and say, no one wants to stay angry, do they? Anybody in here want to be frustrated all the time? You're upset, you're ticked off the world and, you're, and you love it? Like, yep, this is exactly the life I wanted. I wanted to be angry and frustrated all the time. No, that's none of us. But how do we change? This is the purpose of our text today. Psalm chapter 73 is meant to teach us how we change, not necessarily our circumstances, but our attitude and our perspective. It's a lengthier psalm, but I want to read for you the entire psalm. Because if you haven't had a chance to read it this week in preparation for uh, today, I want to take just a couple minutes and read the entire chapter for you. And you'll notice our but God verse at the end of the chapter. Let's read it. I'll read briefly. A Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment, their eyes swell out through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly they set, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Great psalm. This couldn't be a more fitting passage for today. God being in control of all things, knowing all things, understood the week that you had this week. And he also, in his sovereignty and his control, allowed this to be our text for this morning. And I am completely convinced that this is a message from him to us today, exactly what we need. Let me give you a little bit of background on this psalm before we dive in. It says at the very beginning of Psalm chapter 23, it says a psalm of Asaph. We don't know a ton about Asaph, but here's what we do know. He was a choir leader. He was a songwriter. So his job was to write songs for the people of God to sing. But he didn't write songs just merely for them to sing. He wasn't just an entertainer. His job was to write songs that the people would meditate on, that they would apply, and that they would live out. These songs had a purpose. He wanted you to sing them re repeatedly so that they'd get into your heart. They'd get into your soul. You were catechizing yourself. You were teaching yourself. You were singing out loud the words you needed to hear. That was Psalm 73. I learned while I was studying for our text today that many of the Psalms are counseling 
case studies. That's what many of the Psalms are. They're a story or a narrative that teach you how to deal with you, how to, how to counsel yourself. So Psalm 73 is not a journal entry like many of the Psalms feel, right? Some of the Psalms feel like David, he's hiding in a cave and he's, he's upset and he's scared. And so he's kind of journaling to God his hardship and his feelings and his emotions. That's not Psalm 73. It's not a journal entry. Instead, it's a plan. Psalm 73 is a strategy. Psalm 73 was, was written intentionally to teach you and to tell us how to counsel ourselves. It's a plan. So when you find yourself in a dark place, here's what you should do to preach to your own heart. That's Psalm 73. Could there, could there be a more fitting passage? For those of us that find ourselves in dark places, in hard times, in difficult days, here's a plan and a strategy on how to counsel ourselves, how to teach us what we need, what we need to hear. Let's be a little bit more specific about Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is a song that teaches us how we conquer anger, envy, bitterness, defeat, and maybe even depression. Any of those resonate with you today? It teaches us how a hard heart can be changed into a soft, loving, compassionate heart that eventually and ultimately is eager to help others instead of just be angry. If I could summarize for you Psalm 73, just in a, in a nutshell, I would say this. It is addressing the idea of what do we do when we are mad? What do we do when we are mad? And more specifically, mad at God. What do you do? How do you address a bitter heart, an angry heart that's mad and mad at God? Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there? Have you ever wanted to shake your fists at the heavens and say, God, why? Why is this going on? Then this, this is the psalm for you and for me. Real quick, look in your Bible, Psalm 73. Look at verses 2 and 3. Here's the plan. Here's the strategy. Asaph wants to take you from being a person that's in Psalm two, or verses 2 and 3, and he wants to take you to, be, to make you to become the person in Psalm 73, verse 28. Look at verses two and three. It says this, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So that's where, that's your current affair. That's your current estate. That's where your heart is today. This is where he wants to take you. Verse 28. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Imagine this is a counseling session and you come into the counseling office and you're upset and you're mad and the counselor says, go ahead and vent, lay down on the couch, go ahead, get it all out. And you're like, I can't believe all the people. You won't understand. Everybody's jerks. I hate everybody. And then she's like, okay, go ahead, get it all out, get it all out. That's what this is. And at the end of the counseling session, that counselor masterfully is going to take you to 
getting all your junk out and ultimately seeing the goodness of God. I want to walk you through a quick outline to help you see how Asaph does this. The first three verses, I believe, are a summary. The first three verses are a summary of the entire psalm. And then the rest of the psalm has three steps. How to counsel yourself. How to combat a bitter heart. You got it? That's where we're going today. How to combat a bitter heart. First three verses is the summary statement. And it's going to walk us through how, how to deal with our, with our own heart. I love verses one through three. Look at it just for a second before we move on. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a poet. But from the research I've done, it looks like in Psalm 73, the first three verses are like a refrain that you would have repeated, that you would have been able to say quickly. And so maybe the, the congregation would have sang verses one through three repeatedly. And then other times they would have sang the entire psalm in an entirety. So the psalm is a story, and the first three verses are like a, a short refrain, I think. That's what I know. So the first three verses are a summary statement, and it's almost a backwards summary of the psalm. Look at this real quick, okay? Verse 1 is a statement about God. Verse 2 is a statement about me, about my heart, about my current situation. And verse 3 is a statement about my problem. So if you were in a counseling session, it would go backwards. Verse 3, verse 2, verse 1. So verse 3, I hate everybody. Life is terrible. Everything's wrong. Everybody's jerks, okay? And the counselor's like, okay, get it all out. Go vent. And then, okay, the counselor masterfully would say, okay, okay. But let's, let's stop talking about your, your, your people problems. Let's talk about your heart. And you're like, okay. Um, I just feel like at any moment I could, I, I could quit, I could give it all up. I'm just done. The counselor's like, good, good, good. We're getting to the real heart. The pr your problem's not the people. The problem's your heart. So you vent a little bit. That's verse two. Man, my heart, I'm just ready to quit. I'm ready to fail. I feel like I'm gonna fall flat on my face and just end it all, right? You're like, okay, good. And then the counselor masterfully gets you to your foundation. Okay, but, but what's your strength? Like, what you, what's going to help you endure? What's going to help you stay strong during this time? And, and, the, and the person laying on the couch says, the only thing I have is God. The only thing I've got in my life is God. And the counselor's like, that's right. That's your foundation. You cling to him. Yeah, you do have these people problems in your life, and you do feel like at any moment you could quit, but you have a strong foundation. It's God, and he will never move. He will never let you down. He will never forsake you. And you're like, man, I got this. I can keep going. That's Psalm 73. And verses 1 through 3 are a brief outline of that. Let me summarize verses 1 through 3 this way. It's this. My problem almost caused me to lose my heart or my strength, or my life, but God, but God is good. That's Psalm 73. And that right there, that is all of our stories, is it not? My problem has caused me to lose my heart, but God is good. Every one of us can relate to that story. No matter what your problem is, you can insert whatever your problem is to the beginning of that. My problem almost caused me to lose my heart or my life, but God is good. Insert your problem, but all of us have that same storyline. 
All right, so let's dive in. Let's see what Asaph is teaching us about how do we counsel ourselves? How do we talk to ourselves? How do we change? Verses 4 through 5, I'm, or 4 through 15, I'm going to summarize as Asaph's anger. So this is him laying on the couch, venting about all of his problems. Verses 4 through 15 describes for us a jealous person, an angry person, a bitter person, a cold-hearted person who despises others and is mad at God. That's what this person comes in and is frustrated about. And why? Why is he mad? Well, I think our text teaches us two things about why people are angry. Number one is because we want what others have. You'll see that in the text. In verse three, he states it pretty obviously. He says, I was envious of the arrogant. And then he goes on to say, he sees everyone else as having a life of no struggles, no afflictions, no difficulties. And then he looks at his own life and all he sees is struggles and afflictions and difficulties. And he's like, I just want their life. I'm upset because my life's so hard and theirs is so easy. He sees other people's bodies as healthy and strong. And then when he looks at his own life, he just sees his, his body falling apart and getting weaker, losing strength. He gets all the sicknesses and he gets all the diseases and he gets the call from the doctor that, with the diagnosis that he has cancer. And he's just like, why? Why is my life falling apart and everybody else's life it's going so well. He sees other people and they're increasing in their riches and making money come so easy to everybody else. And it's so difficult for him and he's just trying to keep his head above water with the finances and it's so hard. And then he sees the world and people follow these wicked people and they listen to these wicked people and they serve these wicked people and he looks around and he feels lonely like no one cares about him. Man, I want what others have. I don't understand why mine's so difficult. And so the first reason he's angry is because he wants what others have. He's jealous. The second thing I think our text teaches us about why he's angry is he thinks he deserves what others have. He's not just jealous, but he feels cheated. He feels like he got ripped off. He feels like he was promised something and it didn't happen. So he feels like he got ripped off. He deserves what others have. Look in verses 4 through 15, and look how many times the pronoun they is used. He's constantly referring to these wicked or arrogant people, and he's pointing out the type of people they are. And he's questioning why they receive the blessed life they seem to have. He says in verse 13, I strive daily to live a moral life, what has it done for me? I try to keep my hands clean. I try to live a life of, of character. And what has it accomplished for me? He says, I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I'm ethical in the workplace. Yet I don't, I don't seem to be rewarded for it. I feel, I feel cheated. I feel ripped off. Like I didn't get what I was promised. He says in verse 14, in spite of my obedience... My life seems filled with difficulty, and I'm being insulted and made fun of by others. I, uh, he says this, I honor God with my life. Why isn't my life better? Asaph is describing a person 
who is not only angry at others, but ultimately he's angry at God. He's looking at his circumstances and saying, God, you failed me. You didn't come through. You dropped the ball, God. I've done my part. God, you haven't. You seem to be blessing everyone else, and my life is hard. I'm angry at you, God. If I'm going to be honest, I'm not angry at others. I'm angry at you, God. You dropped the ball. You ever feel like that? You ever that honest? You ever willing to admit where your anger is pointed? You see, many times, our anger reveals what we believe. Many times we believe that difficult things shouldn't happen to people who live for God. I live for God. Why, why are bad things happening to me? See, it's possible that our anger shows that what we want from God is what he can do for us, not God himself. You ever willing to admit that? Like, God, I feel like I'm holding up my end of the bargain and Oh, so you want my stuff, right? God's like, oh, I get it, Travis. You're living for me, so I'll bless you. You want my stuff, Travis. You don't want me. I'm not sufficient for you, Travis. Is that oh, okay, thank you for letting your anger prove what you believe. I got it, okay, all right. Now we're at least honest. You see, if you believe that, that we obey in order to get then you will come to the conclusion that this psalm does in verse 13. Look at verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. What good is it done? I'm done. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with God. I'm done with obedience. I'm done with living for him. What has it done for me? I'm just bitter. I'm just sick of this. Who cares? I'm, I'm thrown in the towel. I'm done. And I think a lot of people believe that way and think that way. Even without maybe knowing it, they live that way. Think about the book of Job. This psalm sounds a lot like the book of Job. The book of Job, you remember Job's wife in chapter 2, verse 7? Job's wife, after looking at all the devastation that happened to his family, they lost everything. Remember what Job's wife says to Job? Job, what are you doing? Do you, do you still hold fast your integrity? Job, curse God and die. Your life hasn't panned out like you thought it would. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Just be done. It'd be better to be dead, Job. Your integrity thing, trying to live a holy life, pure life, live for God, it doesn't, hasn't accomplished anything. Just, just be done. Just curse God and die. You see, Job's wife's theology was similar to the first 15 verses of Psalm 73. Why isn't my life easy and blessed since I honor God with my life? You ever think that way? See, if living for God doesn't really result in earthly rewards, why do it? I'm done. Thrown in the towel. Christianity hasn't worked. I guess I'm out. Today, be honest for one moment and answer this question. What are you angry about today? What are you frustrated about? Maybe you're frustrated about COVID and how it has affected your life. Like, man, I... 2020 was supposed to be the year. It has been everything but that. It's terrible. Everything's been affected by COVID. Maybe it's, maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're upset about, about your income to debt ratio and your finances, and it's so hard to get ahead. 
It seems like every time you get ahead, there's an unexpected expense, and you're just like, I can't, I can't get ahead. Or, or I'm just trying to keep my head above water, and I can't even do that. The bills are higher than the income, and I don't know if I'm not even going to make it. I'm, I'm just upset. Maybe it's your health. You upset about your health today? Your health seems to continue to fail, and it seems like others have it so easy. It seems like you always get the negative diagnosis, and you always feel sick and weak. You're like, what, God, why? Why am I always struggling with my health? Maybe you're just upset because your enemies are prospering. Those that you hate are doing really well. And you're like, what? Why are they having such a good life? They don't deserve that. They're terrible people. Why, are they li- why is life going well for them? I'm jealous of their life. Or maybe you're just bitter. Maybe you're bitter at God. Because of the life you thought God owed you. It wasn't supposed to turn out this way, God. I gave you my life when I was a high schooler or a, a middle schooler. I gave you my life, God. I thought that meant things were going to go well. And it hasn't. It's hard. It's difficult. This is Psalm 73. What do we do? What do we do when we're ready to give up? Here's the first thing we do. Keep reading. We're not done. The psalm's not over. You there? You angry? It's okay. We're still venting. Verses 16 through 22, I'm going to describe as Asaph's pity or Asaph's compassion. You see, the first part in order to battle a bitter heart is to Uh, admit you're angry. Step two is to have that anger move to pity. In order to move past anger, anger has to move to pity. Notice what Asaph does when he is overcome with anger. Can I read for you verses 16 and 17 again? It's absolutely beautiful. Verses 16 and 17 say this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Asaph is upset, he's angry, and he knew exactly where to go, to God. He ran to God, he spent time with God, he prayed to God, he went where the people of God would have surrounded and would have gathered. He knew exactly where to go. You see, when you are angry at God, you can run to God. You don't have to shake your fists at him from a distance. You can talk to him. You can cry out to him. Guess what? He can handle your anger. He's big enough. He can handle it. He can take your yelling. And what did God teach him in verse 17? When he went into the sanctuary of God, what did God teach him? Then I discerned their end. Notice how different that is than what he was frustrated with. He was frustrated with their present their current reality. When he went to the sanctuary of God, God taught them their end. That is so interesting. You see, Asaph learned to pity them, have compassion on them instead of anger, to consider their eternal reality instead of just their present reality. See, that's the key. That's the key to overcoming anger is compassion or pity. He realized the emptiness of what they have. He realized that our end is way more important than our present. And we need to learn that too. The older I get, I'm realizing something about myself. 
it is not healthy for Travis, I'll just make this statement about me, it is not healthy for me to browse Facebook or Instagram. I just notice whenever I do that, I don't leave encouraged. Do you? Like I spend a few minutes scrolling Instagram and I put it away and I'm like, ah, everybody's doing so great. No, you know what happens? I'm jealous. I'm upset or I'm mad that their life is going so well and I don't like them. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Like it's not good for me. So I'd like to introduce you to a new social media um, platform that I do recommend. It's called tribute.com. Does anybody know what tribute.com is? It's a real thing. You remember newspapers? Newspapers used to have an obituary section. There's now a website that you can go to, and it's all the obituaries of where you live. And I think that's a way better social media platform than Instagram because our psalm is going to teach us today that it's better to consider your end than it is your present. So here's what Facebook and Instagram teach you. It teaches you to consider your present. Tribute.com teaches us to consider our end. Think about this. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2 says this. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. One of the paraphrases I read this week said this. It's better to go to a funeral than it is to a wedding. At a wedding, you're going to have a great time. You're going to party. You're going to go home with a smile on your face. But at a funeral, you're going to think. You're going to ponder. You're going to wrestle with your life and what you've accomplished. You get the point? What did he do when he went to the house of God, the sanctuary of God? He pondered their end. He wrestled with this. See, I think our greatest struggle many times is thinking that whoever has the best 80 years on earth is the winner. Instead, what we must realize is that eternity is way longer than 80 years. Wouldn't you rather, would you rather have a great 80 years or an eternity of joy and fulfillment with your creator? It's obvious, isn't it? You know the actor Jim Carrey or the theologian Jim Carrey? He, he said this one time, and I think it's very profound. He said this, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they'd see it wasn't the answer to anything. Isn't that brilliant? He got it. The man who has had it, rich and famous, and he came to the conclusion, didn't do anything. Didn't help me. I'm still angry. I'm still frustrated. Didn't solve anything. You see, our text teaches us this. When you are angry, do two things. Number one, run to God. He can handle it. And number two, consider your end. Consider eternity. Quit considering your present reality. And if it's all lined up like you thought it would, you're in the house you wanted, you got the car you wanted, you got the, the title of the job you wanted, I, you'll never have that. Consider your end. This will change you from anger to pity or compassion. But the psalm's not done. We haven't finished yet. Let's look at verses 23 through 28. I've summarized this as Asaph's gratitude. The text ends with gratitude. It says, it teaches us that pity, compassion, that's not the end goal, right? 
We don't want to just be sad about people's eternal destination. That's not, that's not how we defeat anger. That's not the end goal. In order to defeat bitterness, pity has to move to gratitude. Verses 20 through 22 cause a dramatic change in tone in this psalm. God wakes Asaph up, and Asaph stops focusing on others' lives and begins to focus on what God has done for him. He acknowledges his bitter heart. He admits his arrogance. He says, I realize that in my current attitude, I'm just like the wicked. I'm no better than them. How dare I be resentful of others? I'm brutish, and I'm ignorant. I'm like a beast before you, he says. You can sense in this verse 22, you can sense his judgment shifting from others to himself. He now pities himself. From anger and frustration from others to anger and frustration of himself. You see, the end of this psalm teaches us how to move from pity to joy. Instead of comparing, we must reflect on God's goodness to us. You see, you want to know the cure for bitterness? The cure for bitterness is gratitude. This is what Asaph and you and I have to learn. The cure for bitterness is gratitude. Our text gives us a list in verses 23 through 25. Our text gives us a list of things Asaph and you and I have to be grateful for. Let me just read them for you real quick. In verse 23, he says, God, you are continually with me. I should be grateful that, God, you're continually with me. You hold my right hand. In 24, God, you guide me. God, and after I die, God, you'll receive me to glory. Verse 25, he cries out, Whom else I in heaven but you? What else, who else do I have, God? I have you. That's all I need. See, if I'm willing to admit it, what else is there on earth I would rather have than God? Would you rather have all the riches in the world? The, e the easiest life, fame? No. We just asked Jim Carrey if that did it, and he said no. Didn't accomplish it. You'd rather have any of those things than God? It won't work. And that leads us to our but God verse in verse 26. He says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. This is what changes a person from a bitter heart to a joy-filled heart. Understanding it doesn't matter what happens in life. What matters is who you are anchored to. That's the key to overcoming bitterness. Who are you anchored to? See, there's two realities in life. Every single one of us in this room have two realities. Number one, your flesh will fail. You're dying. Every single one of you, no matter your age, your body is withering away, you're losing your strength, you're losing your mobility, you're losing endurance. I wake up after doing nothing for eight hours and I'm sore. I have no idea why. I'm wasting away. Number two, the second reality, our heart is failing. What is your heart? That's the seed of your emotions. That's your courage. Man, when I was in my 20s, I thought I could change the world. When I was in the 30s, I'm like, well, maybe I could change my family. The older I get, I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm just going to drink coffee all day, you know. I'm giving up. I'm losing heart. And that's reality. But, but 
if you are anchored to God, he becomes, number one, the strength of my heart. That strength I want, the strength I long for, God becomes. He holds you together. He won't let you unravel. God won't let you fall. When life is falling apart, somebody's got you. When your strength is failing, when your heart is failing, someone's got you. That's God. And he's my portion forever. Portion could be a, a word to substitute for portion could be inheritance. Your inheritance forever. You know what you don't need? You don't need a temporary success, a temporary promise like the stock market or the housing market. Like, I oh, just put all my chips in that. That'll, that'll take care of me. No, you know what you need? An eternal promise. Something that'll never fade, never fail, never fall short. And that's God. He's got you for eternity. And that's way better. I love the verse that he holds my right hand. I have a six-year-old son, and he's super courageous, but not very capable. Does that make sense? So he loves to walk on the rocks. He loves to find like a retaining wall and climb up on the retaining wall. And he has all the courage in the world, but no ability, right? So what we do is he's still at the age where he doesn't mind holding my hand, right? So we'll go on the rocks and he's walking on the boulders and he slips and he falls, but dad's got him, right? So instead of bashing his face on the rock, I've got him. So when he slips, I got you. When he's on the retaining wall and he falls off four feet and you're gonna get hurt, I got you. Who's got you? When life crumbles, when you slip, when you fall, you're going to crack your skull open, or does somebody got you? Is God holding your right hand? Is he there for you? Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How does that verse end? For you are with me. That was a little quiet. We'll keep working on it. For you are with me. He's got you. When life crumbles, what's your foundation? You see, it doesn't matter how nice your boat is. When a tidal wave comes, you better be connected to something bigger than the tidal wave. And the tidal wave of trials and death come to all of us. What's your foundation? I can, I can make a prediction. Based upon where 2020 is gone, what last week is like, was like, we're not in for a great week, right? Like, let's just assume the obvious, right? Who's got you? If this week doesn't go real well, who's got you? Are you on your own? You're going to handle it? You got this? Or someone got your hand? So you won't stumble. You won't fall. See, as we wrap up today, I just want to show you a few things we've got to learn Psalm 73 teaches us a few things that we've got to learn. God, and only God, is our source for wisdom. Not just knowledge, wisdom. How to apply, how to live this life, how to make decisions. God, and only God, is our source for eternal life. No one else can offer you eternal life. He is our only source for joy not happiness. Like, you can go buy a boat and have fun, but you can't buy joy. God is your only source for joy. God is your only source for strength. Strength that will never fail. 
And God is your only source for transformation. Remember at the beginning I said, none of us want to be angry. None of us want to be frustrated and just be always frustrated. But you can't change. The only source for transformation is God. So what on earth can offer you any of these? Nothing. Nothing on earth can offer you those. Only God can offer you those. Verse 25, he says this, And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Are you there? Can you proclaim that on Instagram? There is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Nothing will bring me happiness and joy. Church, as we wrap up today, I don't know what struggle you're in. I don't know what's causing you anger and frustration. I don't know your disappointment. But I know you've got one. And I know you're wrestling. You're on the counseling couch, just like Asaph is describing. And you're looking for hope and you're looking for strength. Let's look as we conclude today with our take-home verse, which is Psalm 73, verse 28. It says this, I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Is that your story? Does that describe you? No matter your circumstances, no matter what's going on, have you made the Lord your refuge so that you will tell of all of his works? This psalm starts with an angry and depressed person and ends with a joy-filled missional person. Isn't that beautiful? You see, our greatest need is not physical strength or emotional strength. Our greatest need is for God is our refuge. And when God is your refuge, we will tell of all his works. That's just normal. When God is your refuge, you brag. Man, God is amazing. You'll never believe what he's carrying me through right now. And as Chelsea shared, one of the best places this happens is in small groups. In small groups, we can encourage others by sharing how God is carrying us through difficult times. And in small groups, we can invite others into a community where they can be loved and cared for as well. I love, I love the Kling story, but I, I do have one prayer request for you. In order for First Family Church to offer everyone who calls First Family Church a small group like that, I need more small group leaders. Would you be willing to lead a group that cares for people and shares God's goodness with people? Would you be an example of verse 28? I'd love to talk to you more about it. In fact, right after the 11 o'clock service up in the youth room, I have a small group leader training. If you're interested, just show up. I might not have a sandwich for you, but just show up. I'd love to talk to you more about it and how you can be a conduit of this type of encouragement and love to others. So just as we close, do each one of you have the joy that comes from knowing the goodness of God? that he cares for you, loves you, and will take care of you for all of eternity. Run to him. He can handle it. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons 
or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.